Okay. <laughs> so our practice of this class is a practice of mindfulness, of bare attention. Meditation class, you're in the right place. Come on in. Folks, if you're out in the hallway, can you please either come in, or if you're not coming to the class, make your way out. <laughs> There's plenty of chairs. Feel free to just grab another chair if you want a chair. Feel free to sit on the floor. There's blankets. Okay. So our practice in this class is a practice of attentiveness, of mindfulness, of really paying attention to the very nature of our experience, and therefore the nature of our reality and the nature of who we are. We're trying to discover in the most basic, concrete, direct way, who are we? What is this life that we're living? And the way we do that is an awareness which may be slightly different from other kinds of awareness we use, also valuable. An awareness which is a kind of bare, pure seeing, an attempt to directly interact with and experience our reality as it is, without concepts or judgments or imagination, without any additions, just things as they are. And in many ways, this quality of awareness is the quality of Moshe, of Moses. Really the quality that starts him in a certain way on his prophetic path. We read in Shmot, Moshe was out, and he was shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law. And he comes, and he comes to the mountain of God, to Horeb, to Sinai. And an angel of God appears to him in a flame from within a bush. And he sees that the bush is burning, but it is not consumed. Famous classic line, right? The bush is burning and it is not consumed. But I think there's a question there, which is, how did Moshe know that? If you've ever seen a bush burning or anything burning... Sort of looking at burning for a moment, move on. There's actually some quite careful attentiveness and paying attention to see, oh, there's this manifestation happening here of flame. There's this experience I normally have, and yet something which should be changing normally is not changing, is not transforming. The Yom Moshe, the next crucial step, Asura Naver Et Amar and Moshe's response is curiosity. He says, oh, let me turn aside and see this cool thing. Why is, the, why is the bush not burning? Let me check it out. And God saw that he turned to see, and God called to him from within the bush. And he said, Moshe, Moshe. And he said, here I am. And I think in some ways this process described here is our process. We stop for a minute and we notice. We notice. And if we notice carefully enough, 
we become curious and interested. We want to explore, we want to see, well, what is this actual process we call life? What is this process we call, I call myself? What can I discover at this moment? And when I look with that curiosity and engagement, then the divine calls. The divine calls to me from within that moment. And it says, James, James. It says, Rick, Rick. <laughs> it says, Moshe, Moshe. And when we've turned in that way, we can respond to Hineni. I'm here. I'm not scattered. I'm not somewhere else. I'm not running around like a chicken with my head chopped off. For a moment, I'm here. I'm present. I'm able to be present with this experience. And the result of that, really, the story of Moshe, the result of that is Gula. The result of that is liberation. The result of that is Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Right? This is how the process of Yitzhak Mitzrayim starts. Moshe is called. This is the beginning of his call. He notices, he pays attention, he finds the divine present in that moment, and from that place of that call and that attentiveness, liberation is possible, liberation comes. So that's our practice. Our practice is just that attentiveness which allows, which allows the divine voice to emerge, which allows liberation to emerge, which allows our own seeing to emerge. And doing this practice, in my own experience, and the experience of other people who have been doing it, can be extraordinarily powerful because it enables us to see ourselves in new ways, to see new truths, to see ourselves truly without illusions, without mirrors, to free ourselves in that way from a great deal of anger and pain and fear and suffering. <clears throat> and to do it, all we have to do is bring ourselves into this present moment. But there are, I mean, there are many present moments. There are infinite present moments. But I want to talk about two kinds of present moments. Very important kinds. The first kind is that place that we've all touched. That place of wisdom, of compassion, of peace, of openness. The place of the divine. We've touched it maybe in prayer. Maybe in meditation. But maybe more likely on a mountain. In childbirth. In love when encountering death, that sense of peace, of splendor, of awe, of mystery. And we can reach that place through this practice, that place of real opening and real presence. And then there's another kind of present moment, no less significant, no less important. And that's the present moment of our neuroses and distractions and worries about yesterday and tomorrow and how come everybody else is doing it right and I'm the only person who doesn't know how to do this? And our fear and our pain and our nervousness. And this is no less important a present moment. It's just as much a present moment as the other present moment. There's the present moment of our laughter. And there's the present moment of our tears. And the truth is that all of these present moments are our richness, are our treasure, and are our ways to awakening and our ways to liberation. If we can just hold them with compassion and presence and love. It's really beautiful, I think, in that sense. You know, there's a famous Midrash on Moshe. How does he even find the bush? He's out pursuing a, a, a sheep who's gotten lost and is maybe injured. And this image of him sort of holding this baby lamb right in his arms. That's that sense of compassion, of presence, of holding, of comfort that allows us to be with whatever it is that arises. 
And if we're interested in actually seeing the truth, actually seeing what is happening right now, seeing what is the nature of our lives, then we have to be interested in seeing all of those present moments. The joy, the wonder, the splendor, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering, the confusion, the clarity, the anger, the love, the compassion, the hatred, all of it. And it's all just part of this human life. It's all part of what all of us experience. And this process we go through is just a process of opening to the reality and nature of that experience. So to do that, certainly at least at the beginning, we're going to start by just trying to actually pay attention in a focused, concentrated way to one aspect of our experience. What I'm going to recommend we start with is the breath. And right now I'll give a little introduction to three ways you can pay attention to the breath. If you've done this before, if you use a different anchor, go for it. If you're new to this especially, pay attention to the ways I describe these. Try them out yourself as you do them. There's no magic to it. Whatever feels best, whatever easiest for you. Turn off your cell phones if they're on. <laughs> this is a good opportunity. So one way is to bring your attention to the experience of the breath as it moves in and out of your body. And right now you're bringing your attention to the internal experience. So there's a sensation. As the breath enters the nose, through the lungs, down into the diaphragm, there's an internal feeling of the breath moving in your body. And you're just trying to follow it, just observing that sensation. Second way is to bring your attention to the external movement and sensation of the breath. That means the way in which your chest, your tummy, whatever it is, moves as you breathe. Again, no need to control it. Just observing that movement. If it helps, it be a great thing to do. Just take your hands, put them on your chest, put them on your tummy, and you just feel the movement of the breath wherever it's happening for you. Expanding, contracting, rising and falling. A third way is to bring your attention to the very tip of your nose. And you'll notice there's a tingling sensation at the tip of your nose as the breath moves in and out. It's a little warmer on the out-breath, a little cooler on the in-breath. Just right at the tip of your nose, keeping that concentration right at the tip of your nose. And our whole practice is to observe that sensation, and then we'll get distracted by thoughts, by fantasies, by memories, by planning, by a sensation in our leg, by a sound, whatever it is, doesn't matter, by an emotion, and we'll notice where we've been, and then gently but firmly, we'll return to the breath. Notice where we've been, gently but firmly, return to the breath. It's okay that we get distracted. Everybody gets distracted, right? That's the nature of the practice. You haven't done anything wrong. When you notice, you just notice. You come back to the breath. It's that simple. No need for judgment. No need to get upset. It's important when we return that our return is not a rejection of where we were. So it's not like, oh, I've just been thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. Go away what I'm going to have for dinner, right? <laughs> I'm supposed to be with a breath now. What are you doing here in my meditation practice, right? It's more like, oh, hello, what I'm going to have for dinner. Right now I'm going to spend time with the breath. Let's come back to the breath for the moment. Right? It's just gentle, just a return. It's no big deal. We use the breath, and we can use many anchors. Um, actually, I just want to ask before we go on, is there anybody here who has breathing problems who would like me to suggest a different anchor for them? 
totally fine. Nothing special about it. If anybody does, just raise their hand for a moment. I can suggest some other anchors. Okay. Yeah. So there's two other good anchors you can use. One is bodily sensation. When we do that, the classic way to do that is the feeling actually of the butt on the chair. So you just bring your attention to the butt on the chair. Just feel like that solidness, that sinking in, and that's just your focus. You get distracted, you just come back to the feeling of the butt on the chair. Feeling of the butt on the chair. Another classic anchor is sound. It works slightly different than the other anchors. Rather than being sort of narrow like that, it's kind of open. What you do is you open your ears and you just sort of stay open to whatever sounds pass through. You don't pick a particular sound, just open up and whatever passes through, you just try and note it and allow it to pass through. So if breath doesn't work for you, I'd encourage you first of all really to start with the feeling of your, your bottom on the chair and see if that works, and if not, work with sound. But for those of you who are starting with the breath, don't jump around, just pick one, go for it, because I guarantee you whatever you pick, it'll feel like it's not working for you. <laughs> so it's not because of the anchor. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Are we supposed to be regulating it? No, not at all. Okay, so when you feel like taking a deeper breath, just... Go for it. Yep, you're not controlling anything. You're just noticing. And that's actually true about the practice in general. You're not controlling anything. You're just noticing. You're just trying to bring your awareness and attention to what's happening. Good question. Any other questions about the particularities of the practice? Theory and everything we're going to get into, why we're doing this, but just about what you're actually supposed to do in this time when we're going to meditate. Okay. Um, we're going to sit in a particular way. Again, not a magical way. We're just going to sit in a way that helps us um, support the practice. You can do it in the chair, you can do it on the floor, whatever you're comfortable with, it's no problem. But we want our body to reflect the kind of mindfulness, awareness, and soft strength that we want to bring to the practice itself. And so when we sit in that way, it just helps reflect in the body. Smile. Just smile for a second. <laughs> so as soon as you smile, most of the time we feel different in our body. Right? We feel different in our soul, in our heart already. Because this body is not separate right, from our heart, from our mind. It's all part of who we are. And so, of course, the way we bring ourselves into a body affects every other piece about this. And this is a full practice, the practice of the body, of the heart, of the mind, of the soul, all together. So here's what's about to happen. Um, I will sort of talk you into a posture. It's a way of sitting up, upright and, and supported. Um, as I do that, I just want to say anybody who is sitting on the floor, again, there are blankets over there. Um, you're also welcome to fold up a, a mat if you want. Um, the important thing, wherever you're sitting, is that you're sitting in a, such a way that it is easy for you to have an upright, stable back. If you're straining to have your back be upright, it means your pelvis is not tilted enough. Okay? Um, even if you're sitting on a chair, as you can see me, or like on my shoes, or if you're taller, like me, you probably have to put some um, blankets on the chair. If you're shorter, you probably have to put some blankets under your feet. Right? So whatever way that you can have that sort of easy 90 degree sort of angle and it feels easy to keep your pelvis, your, your back upright. So I'm going to talk you into the posture. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like when, I, when I'm meditating, even if I start in an upright position, while as time goes on, should I adjust myself? Yeah, good. It's a good question. So sagging is normal. <laughs> um, and when you notice, as when you notice anything else, just try to gently yeah, bring some mindfulness back to the posture. That's right.
No strain. It's like, oh, opening the chest again. Okay, so. Um, I'll talk you into posture. Then we'll sit. And today we're going to sit, just so I make enough time, there's enough time for at least a basic introduction. We're just going to sit for about 20 minutes. Normally we sit for half an hour, so you know, so we'll come in. Um, 20 minutes, if you're new to this, may feel like nothing. It may feel like eons, right? So I promise you it's only 20 minutes, first of all. And second of all, if you begin to feel overwhelmed at some point, it's okay. You can open your eyes. You know, like, there's no, there's no grades. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's okay. If you're overwhelmed, open your eyes, take a look around for a moment, close your eyes, come back to the practice. All right. So just find yourself in the chair, on the floor for a minute, in your posture. And just try and sit in a way that feels like it has this feeling of sort of respect, kavod, dignity, a kind of um, quiet strength, kind of mountain-like. Bring your attention to your legs and to your feet to whatever's in contact with the chair or the cushions or the floor. And on the exhalation, allow those parts of yourself to become heavy and just sink into the floor. Just really let go. Allow the ground to hold you up. It's going to do all of the work for you. Bring your attention to your lower spine. On the inhalation, allow the vertebrae in your lower spine to separate and rise towards the ceiling and on the exhalation to settle without collapsing on the chair and cushions. Bring your attention to your upper spine. On the inhalation, allow the vertebrae in your upper spine to separate and rise towards the ceiling, and on the exhalation to settle without collapsing on your lower spine. Bring your attention to your shoulders. On the inhalation, allow your shoulders to go up and back, and on the exhalation, allow your shoulders to drop back and down. Allow your elbows to hang heavy from your shoulders and your hands to lie heavy in your lap. Bring your attention to your neck. On the inhalation, allow the vertebrae in your neck to separate and rise towards the ceiling. And on the exhalation, to settle without collapsing on your spine. Bring your attention to your head. To the very top of your head, probably a little bit farther back than you think it is. And on the inhalation, allow the very top of your head to rise towards the ceiling, as if someone's gently pulling on a string attached to the very top of your head. And in the exhalation, allow the head to settle on the neck and spine. Bring your attention to your face. Allow the muscles in your face to relax. Allow the corners of your eyes to relax. Allow your cheekbones to relax. Allow your jaw muscles to relax. Can bring a gentle smile to your face and your own time begin the practice. Just noticing the movement of the breath as it moves in and out of the body. As you get distracted, that's okay. Just notice where you've been and gently but firmly return to the breath.
If you find yourself lost somewhere, that's okay. No need to get upset. Just notice where you've been and gently but firmly return to the breath.
something difficult arises, you can just ask yourself, can I be with this? Can I accept this? Or just say yes, this too. Yes, this too.
in your own time, you can exit the meditation and join in the Nigun. to introduce us and reintroduce us a bit to the nature of this practice, to what it is we're doing here, to why I just asked you to sit for 20 minutes and watch your breath, right? Maybe not the most fascinating thing you did, maybe the most fascinating thing you've ever done. But why? Why sit still? Why just observe our experience? In general, we come to practice because in some ways we want to change. We want to experience life more fully. We want to be awestruck by the wonder of reality. We want to be free and open and loving. We want to be compassionate. We, have to be, we want to have meaningful relationships. We want to make wise choices. And we want to be free from fear and anxiety and depression and anger and despair and addiction and self-doubt. And we do that precisely and paradoxically by letting go of all desire for change. Of opening to the experience of things just as they are. As one of my teachers used to say, don't just do something, sit there. Right? All the time we're in this like, go, 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 do, 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 produce, what's the next project, what's the next event, what's the next whatever it is we're supposed to do. But what happens when we just stop? We just stop. Because it's in that opening, that acceptance, that willingness to be with whatever is present, that the transformation we desire occurs. It's precisely in that opening that the transformation happens. So how does it happen? Why does it happen? How is it that stopping and paying attention brings that transformation? I'm going to start this week to explore that. We won't finish this week. We'll have probably two or three weeks of sort of intro, and then we'll move into some broader discussions about the nature of the practice. 
So we want to wake up. We want to wake up. Maybe you're falling asleep right now. <laughs> you want to wake up. You want to experience the richness and wonder that life has to offer. You want to experience the divine presence, the crispness, the aliveness, the vividness, the joy that is the nature of our reality, the nature of our existence. And the difficulty as well, because it's not always so pleasant, but it's real. There's something dynamic and beautiful and wonderful in the realness of our lives. And you may even notice now, if you look around for a moment, that your awareness, just after 20 minutes, is a bit more clear, a bit more bright, a bit more vibrant. You may notice that the light feels a bit stronger in the room, that the floor is a little bit more shiny. You may not, but you can just check it out for yourself and notice if that's the case. I've shared this before. I have a very clear memory from one of the apartments I first sat in, opening my eyes after sitting and just seeing the carpet in front of me and how vivid and extraordinary it was, just in that moment of genuine connection with that experience. And as part of this, maybe deeper than this, maybe just the same thing, we awaken to our own genuine nature. We rest in awareness and we awaken to our inner presence, to our nature as joyous, as light, as wisdom, as compassion, as gratitude, and as a profound openness as wide as the world. We awaken to our divine nature, as the Hasidim teach, to a teva aloki, this divine nature inside of us. We awaken to love for ourselves, for others, to a deep sense of being loved, of being accepted, of being acceptable, of just being deeply, deeply okay. And yet, normally we don't see this, right? Unfortunately, we don't walk around that way most of the time. Normally we feel like something's wrong, something's not quite right, something's not quite satisfactory. We're not quite as open and joyous as present as we could be. We're not as fulfilled as we could be. The Baal Shem Tov talks about it as a castle built of walls, and yet the walls are a mere illusion. Those who have the desire penetrate the walls of the castle and come to the king. And when they come to the king, they realize that, in fact, there were no walls and there was no castle. The king was there all alone. And that's really our practice. Our practice is a practice of awakening. We don't need to go anywhere, actually. We don't need to get to the king. The king's already here, right now in this moment. The king is already here. In the Hasidic tradition, there are really two ways to read that parable of the nature of those walls, those illusory walls. One part of the tradition, um, not the part we're going to go with, um, says it means that, in fact, those walls, reality, all the ways in which we experience reality and experience separation are just don't exist. They don't exist. There's nothing but God. This whole life we live is just an illusion. But another part of the tradition, actually the interpretation the Baal Shem Tov himself gives, 
is that the illusion is that we thought the walls were something other than God. But the walls themselves, not that they weren't there, they were there, but they were already the king. They were already God right in front of us. All those things which feel like barriers, which feel like difficulties, were already the divine, just waiting to be opened to, just waiting to be explored. And that's our practice. It's like those very things which seem like distractions when we open to them are the very path to our nature and to our wisdom. And we glimpse that sometimes, right? We see it, we've all seen it sometimes. Sometimes life is just full for a moment, the sweetness of experience, the depth and the beauty of a simple moment. But most of the time, or at least more of the time than we would like, we feel somehow insulated from reality. It's like we're a little bit cut off, a little bit not fully present, a little bit muffled, right? Every moment doesn't have the depth and the richness that it could have. And so rather than being aware and being present, we feel a little bit dead or blocked or anxious or sad or judging or tense or closed. We suffer in some way. And that's okay. That's also just the nature of our life. It's okay. The problem is the way we respond to it. And what we do is a few things. One thing we do is we suppress it, right? With food, with TV, with sex, with alcohol, with fantasies, with goals, with judgment, with pursuing status, with obsessive thoughts, whatever it is we do. Somehow that it's, it, it, it's going to be okay. We sort of smothered up a little. The Bicetzner has this amazing image. He says it's like, you know, we just sort of dump this stuff. We pile a mound of garbage over this, our soul, which is just calling out to be heard. And so it gets smothered for a little while. It's always there. It's always there, right? All we have to do is uncover it and see that soul which is waiting to be seen and heard. But instead we run away. Another thing we do is we constantly try to fix it. Right? We try to make it better. And we think if we fix it, if I can only, and you fill in your favorite example here, right? If only X or Y, if I only find the right partner, get a good job, finish my degree, have a baby, succeed in my career, become a pop star, win the lottery, I don't know, right? whatever it is for you, have lots of friends, it'll be okay. Just, if I could just do this, that'll be okay. And it's true in any small situation. Oh, something isn't right here. If just this would happen, then it would be okay, right? I just bring my food on time, then it'll be okay. But both fortunately and unfortunately, nothing we get can ever fulfill, can ever fill that sense of dissatisfaction, that sense of separation, that sense of not being fully connected. So why is that? Why do we have that experience? Why do we respond to it in that way? And why is it that nothing we can get can ever fill that sense of dissatisfaction? Maybe there is something we could get out there you're thinking. Maybe if I did have that thing, actually everything would be okay. So one thing we can notice directly in practice, it takes a little work and time, is that we have one of three... Um, there are one of three flavors to every experience we have. Either our experience is pleasant, or it is unpleasant, 
or it is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. <laughs> right? Not a lot of options there. <laughs> so if it's pleasant, awesome, right? <laughs> we like that. We like it so much that we want to hold on to it. Or if it's the ice cream, we don't want the ice cream to end. Right? As soon as my daughter has like a treat, it's like, I want another treat. <laughs> there's no pause, there's no satisfaction, it's like, next. <laughs> what can I have next? What can I have next? We like that person, we want to pursue them, we want to hold on to them. Maybe in our meditation practice, some pleasant thoughts and pleasant experiences came up, and we were like, ooh, how do I hold on to that? How do I stay with that pleasant experience I'm having right now? Maybe nice memories, exciting plans for the future. And we can notice that even our happy moments have a subtle tension in them because we're trying to cling to that moment. We're trying to hold on to that moment desperately so it doesn't run away from us. And then we suffer. Then we suffer. And it's hard, then it's tense, then there's pain, and there's a pain of separation, there's the pain of movement because the reality is that good things go. The other option is unpleasant. And then, of course, we run away, right? We don't like it. We reject it. We don't want to encounter it. Maybe it's um, going to the dentist. Maybe it's that person we don't like. We don't want to have anything to do with. Maybe it's going to talk to our boss or to have a confrontation with somebody. Maybe it's some physical experience in our body which is unpleasant, and we run away from it internally. We build up barriers of resistance to that experience we're having. Maybe it was some unpleasant thought or sound or smell or emotional experience, and you thought in some ways sort of, get away, I'm meditating, right? You're not supposed to be here. And we can watch and observe the tension and resistance and suffering that comes up in relationship to the unpleasant, in relation to our rejection of that which is unpleasant. And we just do it all the time, right? We just run away, and we run away. Subtly, physically, see the person we don't like, we walk in the other direction, right? <laughs> we run away. And then, there's the neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And that's boring, right? Just not that interesting. Like, no buttons are being pushed. Nothing's happening here. Not being pushed away. I'm not being pulled forward. Who cares? This is not interesting. Think for a moment of somebody you feel neutral about. You don't like them. You don't dislike them. Pretty hard, isn't it? Yeah? It's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to find someone you feel neutral about. Very interesting, right? Because it's like immediately, first of all, immediate judgment, right? Me, judge, 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 judge. Second of all, if we haven't judged, didn't notice them at all. Who even was that person, right? Didn't trigger anything, nothing happened to me, wasn't pulled towards or pushed away. Never saw him, right? So we do some practices, we work with neutral people, and usually you have to pick like, oh right, the bank teller. Exactly, it's right, like, I've seen five times, no idea who that person is, but at least I can recognize their face, right? And the problem 
with this category is that it's actually most of our experience, right? Actually, most of our experience is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So it's not surprising that things feel a little dull, right? <laughs> we're not vivid enough, we're not present enough. In most of our experience, we're like, oh, whatever, right? <laughs> didn't see that, didn't pay attention to that. And so then we're caught in this crazy race, right? Like we're running after pleasure, we're running away from pain, we're ignoring most of our experience. And so it's not that surprising that things don't always feel that perfect. And the problem, and this is the really important piece, right? This is the cause. The problem is not that good things leave and bad things come and most things are neither pleasant or unpleasant. That's just the fact of the way things are. The problem is also not that we have a desire that good things stay and bad things don't happen. Of course we do. Natural, it's okay. The problem is that we want to control it all, right? And we think we can. Some part of us thinks, if I do it right, I can stop all the bad stuff from happening. And if I do it right, the good stuff will never go away. But that's just not the nature of our lives, right? There has never been a human life in which that occurred, right? It's just not the nature of our lives. Good things come and they pass. Bad things come and they pass too. And neither good nor bad things come and pass all the time. Because the nature of the life we live in, the reality we live in, is a nature of change. That's the fundamental nature of our experience. Change is constantly happening. Constantly happening. Pizetzner says, says change is the fundamental building block in nature of our reality. How do we know that? Because change has to already be there for creation to happen. Creation itself is this change, this transformation is coming into being. And so very the fact of the possibility of coming into being, of change and transformation, has to happen. And he says, so interesting, in this time of Elul, he says that is the actual meaning of the Midrash, which says that tshuva preceded creation. What does it mean, tshuva, repentance, returning to ourselves precedes creation? It means that built into the very structure of reality is the possibility of transformation, is the possibility of change. And so there's a scary part of that, which is we can't control the change. But there's a wonderful part of that, which is we're never stuck. We're never stuck, right? Wherever we are, wherever we feel stuck, we are never genuinely stuck. The possibility of change is always there. Many years ago, I've shown this before, I went on to a website of a meditation center I go to with some regularity, and it said, just a blank page, and it said, what you are looking for is no longer there. <laughs> change is like that. <laughs> and that's right, change is like that. How many times does that happen? It's like you meet an old friend or a member of your family, and what you are looking for is no longer there. Who you thought that person was who you thought they should be, they're not that person anymore. How many times has that happened to you? You go home to your parents and they're still like, think you're, you're like, I was that 20 years ago, right? <laughs> I'm a different person now. Things have changed, right? That's the nature of it is. What you're looking for is no longer there. You go back, you had some great experience. You went to this one restaurant. It was amazing. You go back, uh, not the same. <laughs> not the same, right? Yeah, change, change. And as long as you're looking to recreate that experience, it's always going to be disappointing. If you're looking to go with that freshness and excitement of, oh, 
That was a fresh, exciting experience. Let's see what fresh and exciting happens this time. Totally different moment. The problem is just that we resist. That's the problem. And when I say that, I don't mean that we shouldn't be trying to improve our lives or change the world. We should. That's why we're here. The question is the way we do it. It's not doing it or not doing it. It's the way we do it. The question is how we respond internally when some things inevitably don't work out. Do we reject it? Do we refuse to see it? Can we not accept that fact of the moment? Or can we open to it and be present with it? It's sort of a shift. It's like a shift in mentality. One of my teachers talked about it. She said, you know, you don't like drop a glass, watch it break, and like shake your fist at the heavens, saying like, gravity, darn you, <laughs> how'd you do that to the glass, right? We don't do that because we just know that's the way things are. You drop a glass, it's going to fall, it's going to break, that's the way things are. We sort of don't have, there's like no real emotional response around that, right? But there's so much else we feel like, mm, it's not supposed to be that way. We're resisting, we're holding on, we're changing, we're controlling, when it's just the way things are just the way things are. Getting sick, getting old, dying. It's just the way things are, right? It's going to happen to all of us, maybe old, maybe not old, right? maybe young. It's just the way things are. And so what we do here is we train in this mindful presence, this awareness, so that we can approach life fully and see the world truly, without resistance, without clinging, without preconceptions. And when we train ourselves in this gentle seeing, in this bare presence, then the fog which covers life sometimes, the wool, the block, can lift, and the clear, bright presence of reality can shine forth, the presence of the divine. Then the pain, as I'll discuss a little bit more later, which is produced by all this resistance, can pass away. There's just a possibility of a lot more openness, a lot more presence, a lot more joy in our life. And so our practice here is just a practice of connecting, connecting, connecting. It's like, how fully connected can I be to this moment? Because when I'm connected, suffering is not present. Let me clear what I mean by that. It doesn't mean that pain is not present. Right? Pain can be happening. Painful experiences can be happening. But as long as I'm genuinely connected, I'm not adding to the pain of that experience. I'm not resisting. I'm not rejecting. I'm not clinging on. I'm just fully open and present at that moment. It's tremendously challenging. The, the Magad of Mezrach says, Kol advarim shekol ma the general principle is that everything that a person sees and hears and everything that a person happens, everything comes to awaken him. Everything comes to awaken him. And I feel like the question in that text is, how possible is it for me at this moment to approach life with that kind of openness, with the willingness to be awakened by whatever I encounter? with the wisdom to see every moment and every event and every experience as the seeds of awakening. 
It's really an attitude of kind of profound gratitude towards the world. It's like no matter what happens, we say, oh, how do I learn from this? How do I awaken from this? How do I open from this? How do I touch from this? And this willingness, this willingness of connection, this willingness of presence, is the kind of commitment to be with what's happening right now. It's a commitment to say, oh, that hurts. Oh, you can be right here. It's like, oh, that's wonderful. I'm going to open and share that with the world. I don't have to hold on to it and grasp it. So not be caught in striving for the future and not be caught in our memories of the past. Now again, it's important to say at the beginning, it doesn't mean not to think about the future, not to think about the past. Memory is wonderful. Planning, very important. <laughs> I don't think you should spend your life without planning. What I think is, for myself, for you, for all of us, is that when you're planning, plan. When you're remembering, remember. When you're doing something else, don't be planning and remembering, right? <laughs> so you can notice, it's like, oh, watching the breath, no? Planning, 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 right? Watching the breath, oh, remembering, remembering, remembering. No problem with planning and remembering. Just do what you're doing. Connect to the actual substance of your life at that moment. Because as long as we're flying all over the place, of course we don't feel connected. Of course we don't feel present. Of course we don't feel truly alive. There's a great story of the Baal Shem Tov said once he felt so oppressed, so depressed, he thought, I'll have no share in the world to come in Olam Haba. Then he said, if I love God, what do I care about Olam Haba? <laughs> and I think that's a wonderful teaching about presence. It's like, whatever, Olam Haba, the future, who cares? Right? It's like, right now, I love God, oh yeah. Right now I'm open, right now I can be present, that's it. That is Olam Haba. It's present right in this moment. It's the world that is constantly coming, constantly transforming, constantly changing. So then we're going to pause there for today. It's hard to know where to pause. Um, and let me say a few more words about the class. Then we'll open up a little time for some questions, and then we'll move on and talk about the general structure of the class. Um, for those of you who are new, um, first of all, we're starting at 6.45 this year. Um, we will start at 6.45, and we will start meditating at 6.45. The room will be open before that, so I encourage you to be here and sitting down and ready. I'm going to walk in from another class I'm teaching. I'm going to sit down. Today we ended up getting out early, but I'm going to sit down. We're going to sit. That's going to be it. <laughs> so we're going to come in, we're going to practice. Um, if you're new to this and you want more instruction or you're bringing a friend who needs instruction, come a bit early. Somebody here will help you, give you basic instruction about how to practice. Um, after we practice and sit, we'll sit for half an hour. I'll give a talk, like the talk I gave tonight, on various themes. You're perfectly welcome. People have done it many times in the past. If there's something in particular you're interested in hearing about or thinking about, you can let me know. No guarantees, but I might talk about that. <laughs> Um, and then there'll be some time for a question and answer and discussion at the end. Um, say a few more words about how this class works. Um, two things. First of all, the class is by donation, so nobody pays me to do this. There's a donation box a bowl on the way out. Please give generously. Um, I'll talk maybe next time a little bit more about why we do it that way. 
Um, I will run out the door as soon as class is over because I actually live in the Galil and my last bus is a half an hour after class ends. So I dash to the Tachna Rekazit. Um, but uh, somebody will collect the money afterwards, so you know, there's no rush. Just whatever you put in there, that'd be great. Um, there will also be, um, and maybe Joseph, you could do this, that's okay. Here once I tell you what it is. <laughs> there will be a sign-up sheet outside <laughs> with a thing that says name and email address. Um, so uh, if you're not signed up to the class email list and would like to be, just put your name on there. Uh, all that happens is every week an email announcement goes out. Uh, if the class is meeting, sometimes I'm out of town or whatever's happening, we're not meeting, and you'll get an announcement that says we're not meeting. So if you'd like to continue on and know when we're meeting, just put down your name and email address and you'll get that. Um, we also need some help. Um, the person who normally um, does a wonderful job helping us and setting up is unfortunately in America with his father who is ill, um, Jonathan Tesoff, many of you know, his father's in the hospital. Um, so um, I, we need a volunteer. We actually need a volunteer, maybe two volunteers, one to help set up. It could be a, a ring of people and one to be willing to close, to lock up at the end. We don't have to lock up tonight because it's the there. Um, is there anybody who'd be willing to set up? It just means helping get the room in order uh, before class. Wonderful, thank you, Stephanie. And anybody who'd be willing to help close, uh, hopefully a party student means they give you a key and you just lock up after everybody left. Yeah, David, great, thank you. Okay, great, so I'll touch base with you guys. Um, and everybody will need to help at the end when we finish. It will just sort of help put the room back together. Great. Okay, so we only have a few minutes left, um, but we'll just open it up in the next sort of four or five minutes. <laughs> so if people have any questions, thoughts, anything they'd like to share, uh, the way we do it is I just open it up at that space. If you have something, be sure to speak. I'll sort of look around the room. Um, if we sit in silence, that's okay too. So. How are you supposed to deal with pain while you're sitting? Great question. Um, okay, so pain is very normal. Um, pretty much everybody when they sit at some point will deal with pain, whether you're sitting on a chair or the floor or whatever. Um, so what we want to do is we want to just bring our awareness to the pain itself. We want to actually observe the pain, not resist the pain, not try and fix the pain. Right, we're sitting for half an hour, I promise, even if it feels like your leg is going to die or something, you'll be okay. <laughs> and if it feels too overwhelming and you move, that's okay too, right? But before you move, you want to bring your awareness to it, and then you want to actually watch the pain itself. And what we'll see is, very interesting, and actually one of the most... Um, one of the greatest learning examples we can have in the practice is physical pain, because it's so concrete and direct, is that if we observe it directly, we'll see that what we call pain is not pain. There is a physical sensation in, let's say, our knee, which is a kind of movement of energy in the body, that's at least what it's perceived as, which is unpleasant, not pleasant, unpleasant. And then there is a whole layers of resistance in our body and our mind and our heart to that pain. We do not want that pain to be there. The muscles seize up around the pain, the heart seizes up around the pain, the mind seizes up around the pain. And so our goal is to just be genuinely present with the pain and softly, softly let go of the resistance. Softly let go of the resistance. It's practice, it takes work. So we just observe, let go, observe and let go. If it gets overwhelming, we get up, we move, we get rid of the pain, we come back, we come back to it. And just as much as we can, we come back, we come back. And we start to learn in a very direct sense the difference between pain and suffering. We see the pain, we see the layers of suffering we built up over it, we see that we can let those go, and all of a sudden there's a lot more freedom and openness in that experience than we would have imagined. So then 
during that time we change our focus from... That's exactly right. During that time you change your focus. You drop the breath, you turn towards the pain, the pain becomes the focus of your meditation. You're just trying to be totally present with the pain. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing your response is going to be similar, but my limbs always fall asleep, and it's not exactly the pain, it's just... Yeah, discomfort. Yeah. yeah, so numbness also, normal. Mm-hmm. Same response. Okay. Um, if you sit enough, that will go away. Sort of as you start to just limber up the body, if you sit in the same position, like if you're sitting on the floor. So if you sit enough, that will go away eventually. Um, again, nothing terrible is going to happen. Um, don't do it for like three hours, right? <laughs> if you do it for half an hour, you'll be fine. On a similar note, with, uh, imagination is similar, but distracting sounds. Yeah, good. So... Let me say something sort of broadly about that, which is that that's right. Similar response, there's two broad ways of responding to things which arise. Both good. One is to say, oh, I see you, now I'm going back to my anchor. That's actually very important. It's important because it trains us in concentration. So we're trying to develop mindfulness, the ability to be present, but if we don't have concentration, good luck, right? Because otherwise the mind is jumping over the place. So we need to train in the concentration. The other response is always, Oh, let me be with you now. So I'm just going to observe the sound. Not going to fall into the sound, not going to think about the sound. Just going to be fully present with the sound. What is that sound like? Can I observe it? Can I open to it? Allow it to move through? And I move it on, that's fine. My personal general rule is, um, if I'm working with an anchor, that's like, come back, come back, come back. If something comes up a number of times, that's like, okay, it's really calling for attention. I'm going to move towards it now. I'm going to be with that. Until something shifts, then I'm going to go back to whatever my anchor is. And then you just start again. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Um, wonderful sitting together. Uh, look forward to seeing you next week. We'll sit again next Sunday. No, we, no we'll not sit next Sunday. It's Rosh Hashanah next Sunday. We'll sit on the 23rd. It's the next time we'll sit. Um, two Sundays from now. So look forward to seeing you then especially in the next month or two. It's going to be a little bit tricky with all the Chagim, so please do sign up if you want to come to class so you don't show up here with over here. We already uh, got a message before that we're all Yes, if you're on the, on the um, Google group, then you're set. Um, but you could have gotten a message from me, which was not part of the Google group, which oh. means you're not set. So you have to see if it's from the Google group or not. Okay. If you're in doubt, put down your name and email, and I'll make sure you're on there. Great, thanks very much, everybody, and wonderful for all the people who walk, walk in who haven't seen in a while. I'm not really going to have a, enough time to say hello to you. <laughs> it's wonderful to see you. I'll see you next week. <laughs> I'll email you. I'll email you. Thank you very much. Yeah.